But I learned early on in my career that uh, mistakes are not um, term terminable, right? That you're going to make a lot of mistakes in life. I used to beat myself up about them. I mean, not first mistakes I made, whatever they were. I'd like put a note on my desk, don't ever do right. this again, remind yourself. And there's very few mistakes that you make that that's the end of the game. And I think you make mistakes and you learn from them. So I would tell you the key in life is, okay, you're going to make mistakes. The biggest mistake you make is not learning from the mistakes that you've made. Hello and welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thank you for joining us. Today we are continuing the second season of our Legends of Commercial Real Estate series with Sue Ansel, the president and CEO of Gables Residential. She joins Bill Cauley of Cauley Partners to talk about her life and career and even reminisces a bit about her experiences as a Trek member. She was part of the Associate Leadership Council Class of 1997 and chaired our organization in 2015 during its 25th anniversary. In addition to Trek, Sue has served on several boards and committees, including the Executive Committee of the National Multifamily Housing Council, the Dallas Summer Musical Board of Directors, and the Board of Trustees of her college alma mater, DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. I'd like to give a quick reminder before we begin to subscribe to the show and follow us on social media for the latest from around the Real Estate Council. You can also watch this interview over on our YouTube channel, where you'll find videos from our other Legends of Commercial Real Estate episodes, plus event replays, and much more. And don't forget, this is the fourth episode of Season 2. We've put out episodes already with Craig Hall of Hall Group, Lucy Billingsley of Billingsley Company, and Ray Washburn of Charter Holdings. So if you like what you hear on today's show, and I think you will, be sure to check those out as well. We've put links to everything, our podcast platforms, social media handles, video links, and previous episodes, everything in the show notes. We'd like to thank the Dallas Business Journal for sponsoring our Legends of Commercial Real Estate series. Visit the Dallas Business Journal online at bizjournals.com backslash Dallas for the latest breaking business news and exclusive reporting on the hottest topics fueling North Texas's growth. Subscribe to their email products, including local business news updates in the mornings and afternoons, and dozens of popular topics from their vast national network of business journals publications. And for more interviews with DFW business leaders and personalities, subscribe to their weekly Texas Business Minds podcast, available wherever you download podcasts. Now, here's Sue Ansel of Gables Residential, a legend of commercial real estate, right here, on TrackCast. Sue, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, this has kind of been a fun journey for me, uh, getting to meet all the leaders of, of uh, Dallas real estate. You're probably more national than just Dallas, but you're Dallas-based, so I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thanks for the invitation. I look forward to it, and I've enjoyed uh, seeing some of the deals that you have produced so far. Hopefully we can uh, keep up with what you've done. You've seen spoken to some significant leaders and they've had interesting stories. And I appreciate you taking the time and energy to do this. I think you have a career as a talk show host in the future, <laughs> if, if you're so interested. Yeah, well, well let's see. Maybe I can uh, replace one of the late night guys. But So what I'm trying to do here is just have a conversation. And I kind of think our target audience is just trying to learn how people have a 
that have accomplished what you've accomplished get there. And, you know, I think a lot of times people just have a view that I think is flawed. And it's really just about basics, in my opinion. And I want to hear what you have to say, and then I'll kind of tell you what I think. But um, so first of all, how did you get to Dallas? How did you like when you were in college? Was it I'm going to go run a big multifamily business or what what did you think you wanted to do as you were growing up and getting into your career? So the, I, it was all serendipitous to be in the real estate business. That was never part of the grand plan. I know lots of people think about real estate as a way to have a career. That was not part of my plan. I went to a small liberal arts school in Indiana. I majored in economics, and I think I thought I was going to go to work in banking or do something on the financial front uh, coming out of college. Right. I graduated in 1982. It was a time when it was hard to find jobs. There was a there was a slowdown at that time, mm-hmm. and I was frankly uh, recruited by an alum, who this was the first time he came and recruited at DePauw, and I, just to show you how. So you na- went to like interviews there. I went to interviews there just to show you how naive oh, I was. He came and was setting up something at, on campus, and I remember career services called and said, hey, there's a new organization that's coming to campus. Do you want to interview? I don't think that happens anymore, but they called and said, do you want to interview? They did it when I was in school, for sure. And I said, I don't know. Do you think it's a good company? This is at a time where you can't find jobs, and I was trying to be selective. Right. They said, oh, yeah, it's a good good company. So it uh, fortunately, I said yes and uh, was hired as a financial analyst, financial analyst for a real estate tax syndication firm that was based in Stamford, Connecticut. Went there, fell in love with the real estate industry. When I was hired, I was, it was a small shop. I think I was the 33rd or 39th employee. I was with that organization for a total of five years. And in the period of time that I was there, the company grew from 30 plus employees to 1,500 plus employees because we grew in the segments of the business. So in addition to just setting up the, the tax shelters, we became the general partners of the business. We set up a management company, sort of grew what we were doing. So I had a great opportunity in the organization to move quickly and take on lots of different jobs because it was growing so quickly. One of the things that I was asked to do after I'd been in Connecticut for three years was to move to Dallas for a period of two years. We were struggling with our property management company that was starting up. They said, Sue, would you go to figure out what's wrong with the property management business, fix it, and come back? There was nothing wrong with the property management business. It was the mid-80s. Tax laws were changing. The world was changing. Yeah. And so that's how I got to Dallas, and I've stayed there ever since. And so, like, when you, like, were your parents uh, professionals? I mean, were they people that you wanted to emulate, or, you know, what kind of lives did they live? Yeah, absolutely. So my dad worked for one company his whole life. He worked for Illinois Tool Works, Fortune 500 company. Uh He is an accountant. So he was, Um, yeah, okay. So financially based. And my mom was a school teacher. She, she stayed home. I have one sibling. I have an older brother. So she taught when he was, before he was born, stopped teaching when he was born and did, went back to teaching when I was in the first grade. So, mm-hmm. and frankly, she did it because uh, the family loved to travel. And she thought if she brought in some extra income, that would give us the opportunity as a family to travel. So like when you, like when I was young, I really, I was I looked up to my dad. My dad was in the real estate business in a small town. So I kind of always gravitated that way, even though I didn't know what it meant. Like when you were growing up, I mean, were you always career driven or or did you 
always know that that was going to be important to you? I did. I, I always uh, expected to go into business. I was fortunate to grow up in a family where they didn't believe that anything I wanted to do, I couldn't do. Right. I think about the gener generation of women before me, and they did not have those kinds of opportunities. That's true. My mom or, or people, frankly, not that much older than I am, the right. women just didn't have those opportunities. So I feel so fortunate right. to be on the shoulders of those who came before right. me. And right. I, feel, I feel responsibility, frankly, to continue those opportunities to the extent I can for younger women. Yeah. And so like work ethic. Um, I'm a big believer in I'd rather see somebody like when I interview somebody. I think grit or drive to me is more important than intelligence. I think intelligence is obviously important, but I, I just think, you know, people that want it badly, I'll, I'll take the, that person over anybody else because I think they can learn what, what's right. What's your views of what drove your success? Why? And, and like a young person that's listening to this, what is important for them, in your opinion, to have people rely on them and, and, and want them to be part of their team. Yeah, I, I would tell a young person you cannot underestimate the value of hard work. Uh, you know, some people are naturally get it and figure it out, but if mm -hmm. they're not willing to put in the time and the effort, they're going to struggle to, to create as much value. I would tell a young person for their own benefit and for the firms in which they work, be a lifelong learner. Yes. So in my career... I've loved to do what I was doing, and when I got to the point in time where I felt like, okay, I've learned what I can in this area, I tried to expand my responsibilities or change my responsibilities, and I would tell a young person, do that, because it will, it will make you more valuable to yourself right. if you want to leave, and it will make you far more valuable to your company. Right. So I would, I would tell somebody to do that. And then, frankly, I think something that distinguishes people is to do what you say you're going to do. So there are a lot of people who say yes to many things and don't follow through. Follow through. Right. And I think if you can distinguish yourself in any role, right. uh, you know, just starting out or more senior, if you're known as somebody that is reliable or tries like heck to do what they say they're going to do, you won't always be successful, that that will distinguish you and lead to success in your career. Yeah, because, you know, I, I think career, a big part of it, success is relationships, like who you get, like picking the right company to work for or someone that cares about you or the company actually cares about you and your future. So that I, I just think as you go, one, you need to be reliable, right? Number one, you need to do what you say you're going to do. My dad used to tell me, you know, and got to rely on your lender, right? Always right. pay your lender back, but... But um, it's it's about meeting and pouring into relationships. What's your view on relationships? Oh, so critical. I mean, how does a young person get one? I mean, I think I think it's it's hard when we're younger because none of our peers, like you and I now, our peers are all in decision making positions, so we can get in at the right level in a company and and communicate with somebody that's got some authority. But when you're like twenty five and thirty, it's it's that much harder. I'll tell you I, that one of the things that I fear most about COVID is frankly for our young people. Yes. Because I think, first of all, I think company culture is critical. Yeah. It is critical for us. And I think a lot of that culture comes from being together. 
and the random bump in the hall, et cetera. There's ways to work around that. And I'm right. so thankful for Zoom, but I'm also so tired of Zoom. But I'm th company culture is hard to, to replicate, but it's replicable in a hybrid or dynamic work environment. But for the young people that are just starting out in their careers, I learned so many things carrying somebody's bags or being in the room and listening to the phone call right. or somebody saying, hey, this is, or, or asking questions. And so for young people today who, in a dynamic work environment, don't have that same opportunity, I worry that their careers are, will be stunted as a result, or it will be much harder to distinguish themselves. And that's, I think about my relationships, I, I'm sure the same is true with you. We're at the level where we have the ability to do that, but that's over years and years of right. working together or bumping into people right. or working on a project or seeing somebody at a, an event. Well, like I think our... My business is collaborative, and I think all business. And, you know, as an office building developer, I want people back at work, right? Because I, I want them in office. But I, I just think that everybody wants to be together and be back and collaborate. And I totally agree. <clears throat> you know, you get somebody that's young that's trying to climb in a business. They don't get the relationships or the FaceTime with those people that can really make a difference. I think Jamie Dimon just came out and said, the people that are going to get promoted are the people that are in front of me every day that I, I, I build a relationship I, with. I agree. And learning by osmosis. And so what is your company? What, what are you doing about going back to work? And when, are you gonna, when do you think you guys will be back to work? So uh, last June, June 2020, we said everybody on a voluntary basis back to work in the office complying with local regulations. The challenge, Another challenging thing about COVID, frankly, is the regulations here are different than they are there and yeah. different than um, so sort of managing that as a company is a story over okay. a glass of wine or and two. Have you found people wanting to come back? So we had, I would say we had 30 or 40% of the people come back. May of 2021, we said, okay, no longer voluntary, back to the office on that same schedule, complying with whatever the local regulations are, unless you have a valid reason yeah. not to come back. Our plan was to go to more frequency in September of this year. Delta made us say pause on that, so we have not set a date for a more um, more than two or three days a week. That will come soon on a on a required basis, recognizing that many of our corporate associates travel, and don't forget. When I talk about, I'm talking about corporate associates. For my on-site associates, right. they've been at work been every, every day, day right. throughout this. Thank right. goodness for for them. I mean, right. they are the heartbeat of the organization, and they've they have been frontline workers, taking care of our residents, yeah. protecting themselves. But yeah. uh, so back to corporate office, we'll come back to that. I during the Texas winter storm, it was uh, so apparent to me how important that creativity and, co and collaboration by being face-to-face. -face. We had people in here mask-to-mask -mask at that yeah. time, and it was palpable the difference that it made sure. having people in the same room. So in answer to your original question, do people want to come back? Some do. Some people, it depends on the role. Some people say, I can do this role perfectly fine working at home, and maybe they can, but I'll tell you from my personal perspective, I don't pick up the phone and ask a question that I might, if I'm walking down the hall and bump into somebody. Totally agree. And 
that you just can't replicate the creativity that happens as a result of those random bumps. So do you think that there'll, there'll be a day or a date when you know it's safe to come back and you're going to say, please come back? And the second part of that is, do you think there will be functions that will ne not come back, that will, that will work a lot more remote than maybe before COVID? I think in our organization, we will probably ask people to come back at least some of the time. Yeah, that's what we're doing. But I don't think we will have, I don't anticipate today a position where we'd say it's not important for you to be back in the office, at least at some point. Yeah. I think oh. it will be dynamic. Okay, so COVID. So I, I went into COVID thinking 90 days, it'll be <laughs> over. You know, had no perception of the depth of it. Um, I lived, I didn't respect it early. Then I respected it. Then I got tired of it. And then I started living, but like, so COVID for me, I want more balance than I did before. I kind of got to where I liked, I don't want a slow pace, but I like the slower pace, more balance. Anything come out personally or professionally out of COVID that kind of where you've got a different view than you had before? Well, I learned some things about myself. Uh, I like you when COVID hit. I think we did our business model saying July 1st of 2020, we'll be back to full force. Yeah, that's what I thought. And obviously that it's was crazy. crazy. No chance. What I learned about myself is I'm an introvert and I travel a lot. So I'm not always in the office regularly. I'm seeing our people. I learned how much I missed that personal interaction with people or how much energy I get from hearing the activity that happens in the office or interfacing with our team in the field. Right. My happiest days are when I, even though I'm an introvert and draw my energy from maybe time away right. to recharge, right. I draw so much energy from being around our team. I'm so blessed to work with such a great team of people yeah. that I, I didn't realize that uh, about myself, how much energy I draw from that. So that's really important to me going forward. With respect to, uh, it was, I have a 91-year-old mom who lives in Dallas, and for the first few months of COVID, she actually, sort of the day COVID uh, started, she fell and broke her nose, and so she came and lived with me for two and a half months, and frankly, that was a great blessing as well. It's an opportunity sure. that I would not have had uh, to spend that much time with her otherwise at that point in life. So it's that was great. She's yeah. independent living, but... Uh, and is she mentally sharp? At she is. That's she is. awesome. She, That's a blessing. It is. She's yeah. She's got great genes in her family. Her mom lived to be 108. Uh, and so um, I hope that she continues to do that and takes care of me in my yeah. old age. Yeah. You know, for me too, it was... Um, I missed the people, the mm -hmm. collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, I liked... Um, I also think, you know, I got to where I got tired of being on hold, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I didn't stay on it very long, and I just said, I'm going to start. I started driving, looking for sites, mm -hmm. and just doing things. So I felt like I always feel better if I'm moving forward. Mm -hmm. But I do think um, there's been a shift, right? Probably some good stuff, you know, as much as bad. I mean, the deaths and the, and the pain and all that that's happened. But I kind of think COVID's got us all appreciating each other a little bit more than we did before. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. So as an office developer, I look at multifamily people in the multifamily business and kind of feel like you're cheating. 
because it's so much, uh, it's just so much in vogue. And um, give me your view of your industry. I mean, it seems like it's been, did COVID, uh, how was COVID for your business? I mean, how did you have, treat your customer? Like, did you have people wanting, needing rent, rent deferrals and stuff, et cetera? Was, how, what was that experience like? So I feel fortunate to be in an industry where what we provide is not a want, but it's a need. Right. And that's a fundamental difference in, totally. our, in our segment than, than others. And, right. and so that's a huge advantage. It's, too. it's a huge advantage. Yeah. Obviously, COVID for us, uh, when it hit, we saw, like all segments, except perhaps industrial, saw a big tail off. But, you know, we were, didn't know what was going to happen. We were very worried about what kind of rents we were going to collect, what was going to happen with the, with the collections, what was going to happen with, with vacancy. Vacancy went down. We had a nine-week period of time where typical amount of traffic for us, compared to typical amount of traffic, was 40% of what was normal. Rents dropped a bunch. But then it was followed by a five-week period of time where we had 150% of what was normal. To your point, people sort of shocked, stayed in place for a while, and then started living again. Life started happening. Mm -hmm. I would tell you from hmm. our perspective, since September of 2020, things have been growing nicely, which is not a typical cycle. Normal fourth quarter for us is yeah. slows, but it was growing. The beginning of the year, call it March. It's like somebody flipped a light switch on. So it's 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 crazy how uh, positive yeah. it is. How we treated our residents, absolutely prepared to say, and, and did, created rental payment programs, went out. As an industry, I've been very involved in the National Multifamily Housing Council, so we came out as an industry and said, look, we need to set up programs to really work with our residents. Nobody wants residents to be evicted, or out no. on the street. No. This is a business we're in. So right. we've created all kinds of protocol for safety. Again, complying with all the different regulations, depending on the city, were different. It would have been nice if there was one set of regulations and we could say, mm -hmm. here's what we're going to do. We did have the benefit uh, as an organization of having lots of practice with natural disasters. We live in areas right. where there's hurricanes, you know, different things like that. So we pulled out the playbook and adjusted. We had protocol for back when we were talking about SARS or mm -hmm. swine flu. So we had protocols. We, we, we married that all together. We had we built cross-functional teams that met three or four times a week um, and created the right thing. We set up systems for payment programs, everything that we could to uh, work so with our relational, residents. Right? Relational, absolutely. Right. Collections, frankly, never dropped off. Uh, and and there is a severe housing shortage in the United States. It's bifurcated, but there's not enough housing for the pop U.S. population. There's more acute need at a lower income level so than at a higher that. income level. Yeah. Uh -huh. But there is a shortage of housing. And frankly, now we're just on the tails of what's happening in the single-family home market. Yeah, You know, the housing prices are... Skyrocketing. The thing I don't understand is why so many cities are have a negative view of multifamily when it's such a like for me, if I'm building an office building, I need multifamily. I need walkable, walkable housing and retail and mixed use type developments. But but those are the bodies. Those are the people that that feed everything that the cities want. 
Absolutely. And, and, and I don't know why they're such a, they just, and I don't want to talk negatively about cities, but they just don't get it. They don't. And frankly, there's been some bad actors in the right. ownership land of multifamily. But there's, you know, even in the entitlement process, there is a belief that we don't want a bunch of renters. The students are going to come in and take our school districts down. Right. Or uh, I, I think they're inappropriately worried about issues that um, won't happen. But there are there are there are bad actors and good actors on all front. And yeah. and frankly. Nothing makes a city more vibrant, in my opinion, than live, work, play. There's a lot of conversation right now, and and has been during COVID, that everybody's going to move out of the city uh, to, you know, they want to spread out, they want to go to the mountains or the beach. And and some people do, and some people can work from sure. home. That's great. Sure. I do not believe the city's dead. I think a lot of young people moved out totally agree. with their parents for a while. They got there and they said, oh, gosh, this stinks. I don't want to be here. This is right. Dolesville. I'm going yeah. back to the city, and we're seeing that. Right. Well, I, I think people misread people wanting a more balanced life than wanting out of the cities. I mean, like people had our, our business dead and gone, right? Nobody's right. ever coming back to the office, and I think they're wrong. Now, I th I'm glad I'm in the South. I think For sure. I think there's certain markets that office may be challenged, but. Um, I think people are going to just keep coming to Dallas. What you, I mean, I agree, but I'm going to ask you a question first. Yeah. What are you seeing on the leasing front on the office side? Has activity picked up? Okay, so we, um, I own uh, three million feet, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm a trader, so mm -hmm. I don't keep things long term. Mm -hmm. So, but I have three million feet. And I was building three buildings during COVID. I had 13 tenants uh, go away, mm -hmm. file bankruptcy, or, or go away. 13 out of 3 million feet, that's nothing. That's not a lot. I had maybe 30 that needed some rent deferral. And I went for the relationship like you did. I just said, yes. I tried not to just give it to them, but amortize it back in with no interest. Mm -hmm. I just tried to be really relational. I didn't ask for financial statements. I mean, if they've been a good tenant, why do I need to go right. put them through a bunch of baloney? And why do you want to refill them with somebody else that you don't? Well, and a lot of people I think were predatory. They tried to get more term and stuff. Mm -hmm. I didn't do any of that. And uh, I think that'll pay. pay. But anyway, our business was good, mm -hmm. Then, it, but it stopped, anything new. And I thought it would kick in, in labor, on Labor Day. Mm -hmm. It actually started in June. Okay. And we've been very busy. Now, I think it's more inbound business. Mm -hmm. I would say rents for me, um, rental activity is pre-COVID mm -hmm. and going up because costs are going up. And... Um, I think it's been kind of a non-event. Now, I do think I've had some tenants drop maybe 10 or 15% of their space when they renew because mm -hmm. some people are having accounting or call center use or something going home. Mm -hmm. But but all the inbound people are going to uh, absorb that space. So, to your, to your earlier question and answer on inbound space, what's happening in the Southeast? I mean, we are so fortunate to be where we are. Wow. The, it is... I think what we're seeing now, frankly, is just an acceleration of the trends that were already in place. Totally. People, when I go out to our properties and, and say, what's new? Where are our residents coming from? The number one answer, depending where I am, it's either California or New York or New York, New York and California. Right. And people are fleeing the high cost states. So right. we're he, in the, here in Texas, frankly, in the southeast in Florida, we're the beneficiaries of having a business-friendly state where the costs are so much less. I think you're going to continue to see that acceleration, I guess. 
Tesla announced yesterday that uh, they're moving their headquarters right. to Austin. I mean, Austin is on fire. Now there's some infrastructure issues with everybody moving to right. these parts of the country. It doesn't seem to be slowing down. No. Either. But you know, like you go try to build something in California versus Texas. <clears throat> I have a home in California, so I, you tend to be a real estate person the whole time. So you're looking, well, maybe I can do something. And the more I look at it, I go, I don't think so. You know, we're, right? we're in California. I'm in Montecito outside okay. of Santa Barbara uh -huh. and uh, for the summers. And not the whole summer, but I go back and forth. And it's just, I mean, California or those kind of cumbersome locations, you have to be a long-term holder. Right. Because it just makes no sense to sell it because of the tax and the... And the and the and the issues, but uh, so like your view on the Dallas, Texas, and maybe the United States. A lot of people look at our country and they see all this discord. And um, but I'm kind of one that thinks that we've been here before, and I kind of think we're going to figure it out. I just wonder what your view is. Are you bullish on? And are you bullish on our business going forward too? So, Bill, I couldn't couldn't agree with you more. Look, at I love our business going forward. We're especially in the multifamily side. We continue to be in need. Our population is growing. The fact that there have been fewer immigrants over the last few years has slowed that a bit. Yeah, I think we need to figure out. We need a sensible immigration policy, totally which, which we don't have today. Right. But with respect to Texas, with respect to the United States, still no better place in the world to do business. We clearly have a situation where there's a bifurcated uh, sense of poli politics or what's what's right and what's left or right and wrong. But frankly, I don't think that's very different than most of our uh, the history of our country. I go back and read things about Teddy Roosevelt and you know fistfights that were breaking out on the floor at the Republican National Convention or people getting shot. Now, hopefully, we won't go to that extreme now. We do have extremes and we need to figure out how to have um, conversations. I think the best thing that we can teach any of our young adults, frankly all of us, are ways to have difficult conversations in a respectful manner. Right. Nobody's li Nobody listens to each other, partially driven perhaps by media and and machine learning which now feeds you back on your device, what you've looked at before, so it becomes yeah, a self-fulfilling self cycle. So you only hear what you listen to, and frankly, we need to be listen to all sides of things. And yeah. I don't know how that changes, but that's created this bifurcation of our political system. I think. So, so most people I know, when you really talk to them, and if you have an intimate enough relationship with them to where you can be open about how you feel, mm -hmm. you know. Because I think today a lot of people just don't see right. what they're they afraid. Think they're afraid. Because they don't want to go down a rabbit trail, right, mm -hmm. where somebody's going to get offended. Because I've always in my life enjoyed having open dialogue, but not where, like, if you and I are divergent on our beliefs, I'm not trying to sell you, but I'm just telling you how I feel and then share it, right? right. And most people I know are moderates. They're I think we all kind of want the same. It's just all what we're being fed. And, um, you know, it's, and I'm with you. I think we figure it out. You know, I just, I stopped watching the news and I'm telling you, I felt better. I mean, I think you're better off watching Search for Tomorrow and watch the news or whatever you're going to watch. 
and I'm not a big TV watcher, but I just think the news is slanted and uh, it's slanted one way or the other. I, and also, and I think right. it divides us. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how we break that cycle. Right. But it's, I don't know that it's very different that it's been for many years of our history. Right. Okay. I, so you were in the second ALC class. I was. Yes. So tell me a little bit about that and how your involvement at Trek has benefited you in, in your career. I mean, is there anything come to mind there? First of all, I was, we were a strong and mighty group. I think there were only 13 of us in the class at the time. And frankly, I made lifelong friends in that class. Still today. Still today. Yeah. Uh, a number of, I'll, I'll brag on that group, a number of that group have gone on to be leaders of the Real Estate Council with Jim Barry and Mike Ablon and important yeah. leadership roles, Lee Bell. And, I mean, the group throughout has been very, very involved. Right right. And so it was great to, you talked earlier about the importance of relationships. Yeah, Those are people I may have met along the way, may not have met along the way, but they're lifelong friends and they're great. I mean, mm -hmm. think about all the things that the, those folks and everybody else in that class has right. done. So that's been terrific. For me, at the time, I was moving into the development side of business. I told you I've done lots of different uh, parts of business, uh, of the business segments of the business, and frankly, a lot of that group was more important relationally in the development side of the business to me, so what they did. So that's been quite valuable. And then just watching that group and their success, I think, has inspired all of us to lean in and do what's right, yeah. do what's right for the community, right, and, and be involved. So it's great. Uh, it's been uh, terrific leader learning yeah, opportunity. Yeah, like I, I'm a, I, and again, I just think life's all about the relationships, right? Meeting the right people and then pouring into those relationships, and then because, um, and one of the things for me with Trek, I got to Trek late. I mean, I got, I mean, I was a member of Nactar, and I was in a lot of uh, 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 real estate related groups, and I always looked at Trek uh, positively. Mm -hmm. I always thought. That's best in class. But I was just never a member. I'd never been asked to be a member. And then maybe five, six years ago, I got involved. And <clears throat> I went to a board meeting and a couple, and I didn't really have much going on. Mm -hmm. And I went back to, it was Rand Holman at the time. I said, Rand, you got to give me something to do. Because I got to feel like I've, I got to get plugged in here. And he plugged you in. He you, did. You well, did. He you did plug me in. I plugged my, you know. I was going to say, and, we took care of that, that opportunity for you. Right. But great. it's been a great ride because... It's and it's really all the relationships. It's the people. It's just unbelievable. Swope and Ablon and all the people are just the, really the, special people. Yeah, think of the leaders that have gone through there and how committed they have been to not only the not only our real estate industry but to the community. It's I you know I really believe it's the good hearts and minds that are dedicated to making this place better. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's a bunch of can-do people. Agreed. You know, I just think it's best in class people. It's awesome. Right. It, throughout the throughout the organization, it's yes. great, and it's a great way for young people to get plugged in. And frankly, you know, the young guns. There's, it's been fun to watch the organization morph and change over time, yeah. and and see it grow and create new opportunities. But I love it. I just love seeing the di di dynamic um, nature of what the organization has become. And and Linda and her leadership. Look, we have had a lot of great leaders in those roles. I count most of them as close friends, yeah. but it just continues. Linda's yeah. really... I think Linda's special. I, like when I got chairman job, I was a little scared of Linda because <laughs> I went to her and I go, uh, you know, I, I'm not one that can't tell you what I think. 
And she says, bring it on, Collie. Yeah. And it's been wonderful. I love her. And, yeah. you know, one, it's relationship. But I also am proud of what Trek's doing in South Dallas. Absolutely. And how they're giving back to the community. And I think they're... <clears throat> You know, the loan program, the, a the ALC, I mean, future leaders. I just think there's so many things they're doing that that are really helping our industry and our city. Yeah, and, I couldn't agree more. Because, like, I'm one that um, when the George Floyd thing and all that stuff started happening, uh, being a white male, right, I've been, I've always had a good life. And I always, I said, okay, I want to do something, but I don't want to write a check. I want to make sure that what I'm doing matters but i have to go figure it out right because i think it, i don't think anybody wants anybody to be mistreated or not have opportunity right and so i think trek really gives you an outlet one to to try to help and pour into it and also educate us on those kind of issues i, I couldn't agree more one of the our, our class project uh, for my alc class was uh, working in uh, oak cliff and it was helping take a neighborhood we that was um, they were building some homes uh, uh, low-income homes which was great we built a park to take advantage of that it morphed over time into building more homes that or it's the Lacaya Diaz neighborhood so down from the Eric Johnson mm -hmm. center there but just plugging into a neighborhood at that level was really eye-opening to me right and and helped to, to your point I've grown up you know very fortunate like I, we didn't grow up with money, but we didn't com either. comfortable life, but I had right? A good right, life, yeah. good life, right? So, seeing that, and frankly, my view is uh, everything I've done with the real estate council, giving back, or or any charity for that matter, I get so much more out of it than I give. It just it really helps ground uh, ground me. Gables as an organization for twenty years has. We've uh, called Gables Day. We close all of our office, all of our, ons our corporate offices and on-site offices, and we dedicate a day to the local community and giving back. And frankly, it's my favorite day of the year. And I think it is for most of our associates. And we've raised lots of money and contributed lots of hours. And as an organization, we can do a lot of things because of the, the uh, experiences and skills of our team that other organizations can't, but it's, but it's terrific. But as a developer, a real estate developer, you know, we're considered uh, rich and greedy, right, in many neighborhoods. And so our ability to give back, whether it's uh, dollars or time or experience and skills, is really important. So as I've gotten older, early in my life I didn't give. I guess I was scrapping to get. You know, but I think giving's better than getting. I agree. And I think doing it is better than writing a check because you get out there and you build relationship and you see and you feel. Because I think you get, like, I totally agree with you. Like, if you go give time to a charity or go give time back, you get so much more out of it than you give. And I think that's what really makes it special, right? And so, like, what about affordable housing? Like, your industry. I mean, I know you're involved there. Tell me your view of that and how we solve that problem. It's such a naughty problem. It is. So my involvement in affordable housing really has been at the National Multi-Housing Council level more than, than in Dallas, although we're involved with it here as well. But frankly, uh, the cost of building a multifamily housing unit is 33% of it is tied to some form of government regulation, some sort of entitlement process. Right. 
if you layer that on top of costs, it's really difficult to build something that yeah. is affordable. Right. So I think there's a couple of things that we need to do. One is public-private partnerships. One is to really, not that any of the things that are included in this, you know, put in a new sidewalk or put in a new traffic light or support this park aren't important, but that as you, if you put that on the development, it's, it has to flow through to the renter. There's just, you know, we are in a capital intensive business mm -hmm. and our investors are looking for returns as well. So it's very difficult to uh, attract the capital that we need if there's not a return. Hence, totally. it has to roll through the rent, totally. right? So one is we've got to figure out some way to reduce those costs, public-private partnerships. And the other thing on the multifamily side frankly the zoning laws need to change we have lots of places where you can't put build density and we have a housing shortage and the only way that this problem gets solved density. is by with density totally. and there's great ways to to build density that's nice and affordable but it's it, we need creative strategies to accomplish that yeah okay so um you know, I think um, I think the thing that's kind of your secret sauce for your business is is that everybody's got to have a place to live, right? So it's it's a definite need, and then you have the people, the gap there with the homeless, and I, I think the homeless for me is <clears throat> it's more of a mental illness problem than it is not having housing. I, I it's think that's it's a mental different... illness or an education yeah. problem, yeah. and and. I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt, but I couldn't agree with you no, more. You know, no, that's what I, I wanted you to go where you were going. But I mean, whatever you think. But I, my view is that we're putting our, our mentally ill on the street instead of we used to put them in I'm with you. I'm, what's, what's, what's different about when I grew up and you, when you grew up and today? And they weren't, they weren't terrific, which is why they went away. But we totally. used to have place resources to right. for people who are mentally ill right. where they could live. And, and there needed to be improvement, but <coughs> now there's no resources. We need to figure it out. We need to figure it out. Because it's, we're spending whatever we're spending, reacting to it, right. the money's going up in smoke versus where it could be solving the problem, in my view. But, okay, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Okay. All right. So like going, if you look at the world, like I'm always one trying to find, is there any opportunity that you see out there in the real estate business or in the world? of investing that you think is something that everybody's missing that you go man somebody should do this i don't know that i would say somebody should do this but what mm -hmm. i've learned in watching the single family rental business develop and grow so what do you think about that so when it started i thought it was just a transactional business i thought we right. were people were buying real estate who could afford it at pennies on the dollar right real estate's a cyclical business this right. will change you can turn around and sell right. it it's turned into an operating business and it's turned into an operating business because technology has changed to allow it to become much more efficient. I, what I, the opportunity I see going forward is I think we'll continue to benefit from technology that will allow us to do what we do in an ever more efficient business. Whether I talked a little bit about machine learning a few minutes ago and how it impacts what we see on our cell phones or devices, machine learning is going to impact everything the way we run businesses for better and for worse and frankly to figure out how to be smart about it efficient about it and create value right drive the needle what kind of seemed to me just and i don't i'm an office building guy but like all the office building guys are becoming industrial developers right 
And it seems like everybody's going to do for rent homes. I mean, it's just like... The like, capital go, the going there is crazy. It's crazy. And do you think it, you think the herd's going, is going to overdo it? I think, uh, I, th- I think the uh, build for rent, two things, single family rental, which is acquiring yeah. disparate houses. That's yeah. hard to do and hard to make it efficient. And, and there will still be some opportunity, but maybe tapped out or tapping out. I think the build to rent market may at some point um, run into some of the same entitlement challenges I, that I have on the multifamily side, totally which is I don't want a neighborhood of renters that come in and do all these bad things. That do all these bad things. Yeah. Even though I think that the idea is kind of, I like the idea, you know, I think it makes some sense, but we just got done saying we all think, we both think that density is important, right? Because you don't solve the problem without going dense, and that's just going against that. Well, and frankly, from an environmental ESG standpoint, environmental standpoint, Density helps us be more environmentally friendly. Right. I totally agree. And so if we can create more density in cities, that will benefit us from a right. climate change standpoint over time. Okay. So tell me about DePaul. You seem your, your, your school, like, um, very involved. And um, I always admire, um, like Gibson's significant at Texas and the people that get involved and pour back into their schools because that means there's a really an emotional tie to that school. It was a, it was a great experience. Like I, I, I just went to my 50th class reunion for high school and I, I don't really have an emotional tie to that school. I don't, you know, and I'll send them some money, but it's never, nothing ever significant, but I'm not pouring back in because mm-hmm. I didn't feel... Uh, an emotional tie. So tell me about that and how you got the relationship with your college. So it was a great experience for me, as you might have expected. It's small liberal arts school. Yeah, I've heard of it forever. Uh, right? In the middle of the cornfields in Indiana. Yeah. So, you know, that, which is a tough business model these days, being a liberal arts school in the middle of Indiana. But I was fortunate to frankly, stay plugged in from the time I left DePaul because when I was hired by a DePaul alum who continued to recruit students, so that helped. My first development job as a developer was actually uh, developing a 55-room inn on the campus of my university. There was, when I was there, there was no place you wanted to stay in Greencastle, and so that was fun. It was really out Mm -hmm. of love of the industry, or the love of the university that that I got involved in that. So that was great. And then, frankly, you know, continued to stay involved, class reunions, that sort of stuff over time, uh, giving back financially as able. And I was asked a few years ago to start being involved in different levels of uh, board of visitors now serve on the board of trustees. That's awesome. And it's terrific. I I love that we have uh, some interns. The school has a program to really try to help students get business experience. So... Gables currently has a intern on the sustainability front in our Atlanta office. Yeah. So it's great. It's terrific fun to go back to campus and see all that's changed and all that hasn't changed. Education is so critically important totally. that I, whatever I can do, in addition to supporting my community to encourage young people to get an education is money well spent. I think it's got to be uh, it would be an honor for me, like, to be in that position, to be a trustee, to actually have some input on what a school's doing. But 
Um, I come from the Midwest, so I've always had a high regard for DePaul. I mean, it's just had a really good reputation, and it's been considered a, a best-in-class school for a long time. But, um, you know, I, I do think, like, I've got two twins that are uh, both freshmen at SMU, and I've got uh, boy-girl twins. Mm -hmm. And my daughter is one of those color-coded, everything's perfect. She's just doing really well, but she's like poor into work, poor, poor, poor. Mm -hmm. And my son is very smart, but very young mm -hmm. for his age. And he's having a hard time because he's letting all the debris get in his way. Mm -hmm. And I've had more father and son talks in the last uh, 40 days since school started, you know, trying to keep him uh, believing in himself because he's overwhelmed with, with the schoolwork and all the opportunity to uh, chase rabbits, you know, mm -hmm. go do the, the things that, that aren't important. In a, and so an education for a kid, <clears throat> we all know people that are very smart, that didn't get an education, that have a limited life because of it. And I think an education opens so many doors, don't you? Couldn't agree more. It's, it's really so critical. And, and frankly, I'm sure he will find his way. He will find his people. It, it takes some longer than others. But for me, you know, choosing a, choosing a place was about, you know, a, a, a good academic program, but I... I was attracted because I had the opportunity to study abroad and had the opportunity to be involved in yeah. athletics and, yeah. you know, well-rounded opportunities, which SMU has a lot of those as well. I, I'm confident both of your kids will find their way. Okay. All right. It, it's all good, Bill. Okay. It, it, good things are coming. Okay. What about cycling? I, I uh, you know, I've called a few of your people and said, okay, what, what kind of questions? Tell me about, so I went on my first bike trip. Where'd you go? I went to the wine country in Montecito, uh -huh. Santa Barbara, mm -hmm. last last year. And did and you love it? I loved it. And yeah. how sore was your seat after riding for a week? Big time. Yeah. So first of all, I got on the internet and I uh -huh. got the padded shorts right. and all that stuff. But it's not and, enough. No, it's not. And and I didn't do any training, mm -hmm. but I went on a probably what you would consider a, a sissy ride. Right? It was pretty simple. But a lot of people on it were doing e-bikes. Mm -hmm. And I am going on one through Napa on uh, November 1st. Excellent. Yeah. So tell me about cycling. So, I mean, do you go on trips? Do you do I that do. Kind of I've, yeah, I've done a number of those. I love it. I love it because, well, first of all, I love to travel, which is good. I, I do that too. I could do that for business regularly, mm -hmm. travel quite a bit. Mm -hmm. But in my spare time, I travel too. I told you I was fortunate to grow up in a family that loved to travel. So I've been lucky to um, visit a lot of places and I that's in my blood so I'd love to do it and what I love about taking cycling trips or hike and bike trips or whatever is you really see the place you're visiting in a much more intimate basis totally. you, you, you can see more if you go do a different kind of travel but you don't see it as well and really to get a flavor I love to travel because I love to put, be in experiences where I'm learning something new or seeing something different I, and every time I come home I feel so fortunate to live in the United States, but I love, love it, love, love it. So back to biking. It's a great way for have me. Have you done it in Europe? I have. Trips? I have. I've done a number of that. trips That's in Europe. Yeah. One. Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll talk later over a glass of wine about all the different places to go. But I, I've been, I've done a couple in Italy, a couple in France, right. uh, Germany. So I haven't, uh, and I've done a number of trips in the United States in the West. And is cycling your form of exercise? So like, like on the weekends, do you get on the bike and go? So uh, typically, I've done a little bit less this year, but I I was a swimmer, grew up as a competed swimming, 
um, little kid through college. I think that's the best exercise. And I've never been a runner. I used to think if you swam, you didn't run, and if you run, you didn't swim. Obviously, triathletes have proven me wrong, and mm -hmm. I've done a couple triathlons. You have? But I hate the running. Every step is a hate. I like I like I, I like the, like I like the biking and I like the swimming. Today, for me, if I get in a swimming pool, it's great. I have enough comfort in the in the water that I can. You can't hear anything. I'm comfortable enough swimming, so it's great thinking time. What I love about biking is it's a great way to be outdoors and enjoy the fresh air and and get exercise and see what's going on in the neighborhood. And you can push as hard or as light as you want. I love the fact that there's e-bikes now it's opening the doors to people that, that that might want to do something and are not similar and i doubt i would think it's a sissy, sissy trip you can make it as hard or tough as you like right well and, I, I like it i think exercise yeah. is important I do too. and i do think it's really important as we age and i do think like chuck anderson is a good friend and he keeps telling me bill you got to start swimming and i'm a dog paddler i'm not a good swimmer so that that learning curve is going to be frustrating but i got swimming in my future good so you are you, you've continued to swim i do that's good yeah. i think it's really it's like no no um it's not wearing your body out and well it's not as much exercise. as other things right? right not as much as other things you know because for me exercise is also a time to think oh, absolutely i just when you can really like those things that are kind of stuck a lot of times you get clarity solve problems Totally agree. Yeah. yeah. So it just it clears it clears the mind, and I frankly, I like to work out before I come to the office in the morning I because I, I feel like I, I come in and I'm like I've already right. accomplished something, even if the rest of the day is challenging. I've I've uh, accomplished something. So do you have a business biggest mistake? Do you have one that you kind of said, "Oops, shouldn't have done that." I don't know that I have a biggest mistake. I learned early on. I probably do, and I'm just blocking it. But. Um, <laughs> But I learned early on in my career that uh, mistakes are not um, term terminable, right? That you're going to make a lot of mistakes in life. I used to beat myself up about them. I mean, not first mistakes I made, whatever they were. I'd like put a note on my desk, don't ever do right. this again, remind yourself. And there's very few mistakes that you make that that's the end of the game. And I think you make mistakes and you learn from them. So I would tell you the key in life is, okay, you're going to make mistakes. The biggest mistake you make is not learning from the mistakes that you've made. Totally agree. I think I learn more from doing something, making the mistake. Like good times, you know, you just start thinking you're smart. Right. That's maybe your biggest mistake. Exactly. Mistakes, I think, are more of a learning experience. Like you say, once you made it, you make the note. Like I've learned through my biggest messes what not to do, and I will not do them today, you know. Yeah, an early mistake for me on the development front, I told you I was involved at this inn at DePauw, and we um, had a general contractor, and we didn't get lien releases. And we had a couple subs that went bankrupt, and somebody called and said, hey, you need to write a check for this. I'm like, what do you mean we need to write a check for this? We wrote a check for this. How possible? So do you think that wasn't a lesson I learned early on? And totally. But just, you know, learn so like when you're done, let's say your career is over, are, will you ever retire? Do I, you see will, I will I will not always sit in this seat. Yeah, but but I don't envision what retirement looks like. I can't envision doing nothing doesn't me. sound like an option for me. I'm with you. I, I don't think I, I, I mean I'm not good enough at anything else. This is the only thing. But I, I like it. I still get giddy I on Sunday it. night. 
But so like when you're done, mm-hmm. is there anything that's important to you that you've accomplished in your career? I mean, do you have, I've never really been a goal setter as much as I've been, I mean, in my mind where I would spell them out. And I think goal setting is a good thing for a lot of people, but um, like what you want to accomplish before your career is over. Is there anything that's kind of in your heart that you want to do? Yeah, the things that bring me joy, frankly, are uh, first making certain that this organization is set up for success in the right. future and that the team, I've supported the team and put them in a position to be successful and keep going, first and foremost. Two, I feel so fortunate for being in the industry that I have been in and the support that it's given me that I want to be able to look back and say, I did all I could do to support the industry and make it better. Mm-hmm. And frankly, the third thing is the same thing with the communities in which I live. You know, I just have led a blessed life and I feel um, compelled to give back to that. It's, and, and that's, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, for women coming up in the business, I feel so fortunate that there were those trailblazers ahead of me. And I, I, I want to do what I can to help those that follow. Yeah, I, I feel like... Um very similar. I just kind of want to make the world a little bit better place. Yeah. And I don't want, it's not about me or legacy or anything. I don't care about any of that stuff. Yeah. I just kind of want to, um, I don't, I want to give more than I take, you know, I want to give a lot more than I, I take. I agree. I feel like, yeah. feel like you've made a positive difference yeah. in whatever form I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I, but I frankly don't, don't, don't want recognition, don't like recognition right. in that regard. Let's let's move the ball forward. Right. That's what matters. Because, you know, I used to want to, like, build buildings that would be there after me. I don't care about any of that stuff anymore. Well, thank you. I mean, you, this has been, this went really fast and very easy. And I appreciate your openness. And, uh, you know, I just think people want to hear from leaders like you. And I just can't tell you how much I appreciate taking the time to do it. Well, Bill, it's been terrific. You you do have a career if you want to. Your next career <laughs> can right. be talk show host. Right. But don't go to late night. I can't stay up that late All to right. watch it. Go early so morning. Go early morning. Yes. But yeah, this has been it's been a great conversation. So thank you for doing this for the Real Estate Council. You, you have really been an important leader for the Real Estate Council. Thank you. Thank so you. you've made a difference. You came at a challenging time. There's there's lots of ebbs and flows and you came at a I guess that's a ebb. It uh, was. And uh, you have made a difference not only in our industry but for the Real Estate Council. So thank you. This has been a fun conversation. Thanks. That's all for today's show. I'd like to thank Sue Ansel and Bill Cauley for their time and conversation. We'd also like to recognize our sponsor, the Dallas Business Journal. Thank you for your support of TrackCast. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media. You can also check us out on YouTube for past Legends of Commercial Real Estate episodes. Remember Craig Hall of Hall Group, Lucy Billingsley of Billingsley Company, and Ray Washburn of Charter Holdings. We've already put those episodes up on this podcast and our YouTube channel. You'll also find event replays and much more. And until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.